Welcome back to The Short Game. It's a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and I am joined by awesome co-hosts and also a guest this week. Laura Nash. Shane Kelly. And this week we are joined by a guest, which is very exciting. We often have guests on this show, but it seemed really appropriate in this case, since we are going to be covering Heaven's Vault, a game that is sort of about archaeology, to have somebody who is at least sort of a subject matter expert. So uh, welcome to the show, uh, Laura Garofalo. Hi, thanks for the invitation. I'm really excited. Thank you so much for joining us. Laura is an ancient Roman historian, so she has a little bit of, ex- well, probably quite quite a bit of experience uh, <laughs> with ancient cultures and uh, is hopefully going to shed some light on where this weird game that approximates archaeology kind of intersects with the actual practice. Yeah, and Laura and I go way back. I know it's confusing to have two Lauras on the show, but I think it'll be easy to keep straight. Uh, but she's got two Dixies at Pompeii, and also she speaks so many dead languages. Uh, she's not a linguist, but uh, how many do you speak? Um, so I do two ancient languages, uh, Latin and Greek, and then three modern languages. So nothing on the Near Eastern studies people that do like seven or eight, but like, you know, two, two ancient and three moderns enough. More than all of us combined. <laughs> And now you're you're fluent in Nebula Ancient as well, yes. so you can add that to your list. Uh, so we're talking this week about Heaven's Vault by Inkle. And if you've been listening to the show for a while, and unfortunately that means for a while, uh, way back in episode 34, uh, you might remember 36. us talking. Oh, excuse me. Thank you. Way back in episode 36, uh, you might remember us talking about a game that, well, we really loved. I think it was our game of the year of 2014. Uh, and that's 80, or maybe it took us a little while to get around to it. It might have been our 2015. We did, I think we played it, I, I believe, we played it after we did Game of the Year. And then we all yeah. were like, oh, that would have been our Game of the Year, but we played it after the deadline. Uh, yeah, you're right. That's definitely that's definitely what happened. We, uh, we, well, anyway, it was one of our favorite games of the early short game era, 80 Days. Um, and 80 Days is by a developer named Inkle that, uh, well, this is their, their. It's been a while since they released anything. This was their their big project after the huge success of Eighty Days. Eighty Days was just a a mobile, I mean, not just it was it was a mobile game. It was a blockbuster mobile game that was you know really widely praised, and we loved it on this show. Um, and we've been waiting for them to come out with something else afterwards for years. It's been since twenty fourteen when that game came out, and I was really excited when I found out that this was finally coming out. So really excited to play Heaven's Vault. It's a very big departure for them. It's a pretty different sort of game. Yeah, we were over the moon and a little confused that there are two archaeology games coming out this year from people we've anticipated. So um, the, not sequel, but there's also going to be a somewhat sequel to Firewatch. It's archaeology based. So Heaven's Vault is the, I guess, more narrative driven actual words on screen archaeology non-violent based game of 2019 very weird micro trend in indie games but i was really excited when we emailed them and they said yes this is actually beta testers finishing the game in 10 hours some of us went as high as 15 but it's we are happy for a new short game in this genre every time it comes out yeah, and of course, 10 hours is sort of our, our top limit for the most part, but we made a little bit of an exception for this game. I will warn you, if you're a short game, um, uh, I don't know, prescriptionist, Curious. yes, actually, uh, <laughs> that perhaps this doesn't count as a short game if you are uh, following our traditional set of rules, because it did take me closer to 15 hours to complete. Um, but I I mean, we can't not talk about the latest game from Inkle. And considering... Most games are 40 to 120. We're okay with 15. Yeah, totally okay. 
So um, part of the reason that we wanted to have Laura on the show uh, is that this game has been widely praised for being about archaeology in a way that a lot of other games aren't. So this is an archaeology game, but it's not Tomb Raider. It's it's not about, you know, uh, going into a ancient crypt and pulling levers and pushing blocks around or shooting T-Rexes. Uh, it's a game that feels, or at least to a layperson like myself, feels a little more directly related with what archaeology might potentially actually be if I were to actually know what that meant. <laughs> and um, so I kind of wondered if maybe, uh, Laura, you could, I don't know, what, what were your thoughts on it as uh, from that side of things? Specifically, I would like to know how much... Uh, of your job actually does involve T-Rexes, levers, and guns. Uh, and, uh, you know, as a lay person, I'm sure you get that question a lot, so I apologize. Yeah, it's Do a regular... you write down your inscriptions in something better than a piece of paper and then not take any photographs of the sites you're on? I'd also <laughs> like to know that. Yeah, no, I mean, one thing that I loved about this game is how it incorporates the historical aspects as well, that there's several different layers of history within the game, and they change the way that asking questions and reinterpreting objects or even finding a single object can change the way that you think about an entire era or an entire culture. That's actually very true to archaeology and the kinds of questions where you don't really know what's happening. Um, But I think especially having that language aspect is much closer to certain types of archaeology um, than a lot of other games like there was an indiana jones game that i played once when i was i don't know i think at eight or ten or something like that that was mostly like discovering things breaking things finding things kind of loosely related to that oh, probably um, the lucas arts one that was actually a totally rad game that game was yeah awesome. there was like a balloon or something a hot air balloon at i some think point. i know what you're talking about yeah it's been years since i played that but it was actually pretty fun Yeah, no. And so you have a nice thing where you actually get to explore and use the language and have it change your opinions on things. You're always asking questions. The fact that it can modify your understanding, that's really, really familiar and really exciting from the experience that I have with archaeology. Yeah, I think that if anything, it's not really like doing the process of archaeology where you might need years worth of digs and permissions and cultivating local archaeological superintendencies and things like that. Um, And painstakingly with a trowel, removing small (laughs) amounts of soil at a time and recording every possible difference. Um, But I think the exciting adventuring, like finding new things, the exciting parts of research are really there in this game. So that was what made me especially, or what I found especially familiar for this game. That's cool. Yeah. I, I really, I mean, we should probably just explain a little bit more. We have, well, we'll talk about the structure of the game and how it actually works in more detail a little later, but I do kind of want to just explain a little bit about how this game functions and, and how it relates to that archeology span side of things. You know, this is a, um, being a game from Inkle, this has got a lot of dialogue in it. So it's very dialogue driven, but Structurally, you are playing as a character who is exploring a nebula, a nebula full of habitable moons. And you can sail, we'll talk about that mechanic later, from moon to moon, trying to uncover a mystery. So there's a sort of a central mystery to the game. It's actually very Indiana Jones in that you're, you know, you've got a, a colleague who's gone missing and you need to find them and uncovering that, uh, that central mystery leads you to discover deeper mysteries about sort of the nature of the world that you're living in. And it's extremely lengthy history. Um, there are no Nazis to punch. However, there are robots <laughs> there. You don't really, you know, the robots aren't Laura. Do you think machines. robots are Nazis? Is that, like why, why, why that connection? <laughs> like there are no robots. No, no Nazis. There are robots though. 
No, I, not accusing robots of anything. However, there are sci-fi elements. It's this in space. Oh yeah, no, yeah. Let's, we, let's not forget this is we've not mentioned this game is set in space. Yeah, we it's can't so discount cool. that this is like an extremely like um, this is like uh, sort of that rustic sci-fi kind of vibe where you can tell that this is a world built on top of a deeply technological past, but that most of that knowledge has been lost into the distant you know, history of the world. Um, And sort of structurally, we're talking about a game where, well, for one thing, you're walking around new for Ingle. That's a very big new thing for them. You're walking around and, and talking to characters, trying to uncover the mystery of, of uh, what became of your colleague and uh, uh, discovering artifacts. And based on all of that, you are discovering, deciphering uh, a, a ancient language that is sort of one of the central mechanics of the game, trying to understand the history of the game by trying to decipher the language of the ancients. I think the first thing that you learn about the ancients uh, from their language is that these people absolutely, like, were obsessed with label makers or something. (laughs) They write on absolutely everything. Like, woe betide anyone who tries to use... The, uh, the the fridge in the ancient's office, you know, you're you're, you're going to find everybody's name is on everything and everything's been <laughs> staked out. Every every ancient toilet has a sign above it saying if you sprinkle when you tinkle, like literally nothing <laughs> goes without some sort of label on it. It's very funny when you get down to. I have been in people's homes that look like that, though, to be fair. I guess it's just depending on like if you're at the weird like beach house where every single thing is labeled or if you're in a a modern apartment. I when I was looking, I I, reminded me of when I went to uh, the Roman area of France and there was just a exhibit in Avignon that was like, oh, yeah, like people just kept finding stuff in their backyards we're swimming in coins here. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I live in America. There's nothing that we're digging up now. It's at most it's from the eighties. Um, I, I have not lived in a place where the past was that accessible. And I don't know if that is true or not, but it was quite fun. Like I like language. I like more things for the puzzle vault. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the language puzzle mechanic. Sure. So as you're going around, um, as Shane called it, the label makers, they they call them inscriptions, which is a, a little <laughs> bit more highfalutin. Uh, but these inscriptions uh, could be graffiti. They could be books. They could be things written on the back of artifacts. You're constantly digging up artifacts, turning them around and being like, there's no inscription. But 90% of the time there is some marking, whether it's the beginning of a sentence, the middle, the end, or all in one. And you're brought into a the interface kind of swims up and you go into the uh, puzzle mechanic. And as someone who's just been playing Spider-Man where all the puzzles are ones I've seen before, I loved getting a new mechanic. You get a bunch of characters and you try to separate them out into individual words and then assign them meaning. And each word, when you're on it, if you've seen anything like it, uh, it's up the top of the screen, they mention a couple individual glyphs that what you guessed for them so you can kind of reference back if you really want to you can go you know inception yourself back into that artifact and look at the phrase but really you're trying to look at characters you've never seen and based on the context and what you've seen before try to decipher the meaning and as you go throughout the game you are not only confirming or rejecting words and phrases but you're also trying to get more and more complex phrases more and more complex meaning 
and trying to figure out the history of the world solely through language that the beginning you couldn't read. I don't know if anyone else found that mechanic. If we can get a little more into that, uh, really, really daunting up front. Like when you yeah. first start yeah. finding these inscriptions, uh, I think you get maybe a word or two uh, as a gimme. Like you get, uh, we'll talk later about the character Huang, who like helps you out right at the start and then just throughout the game with some of the translations. But, you know, you'll, you'll start finding these uh, inscriptions that will maybe be early on. They're pretty short, you know, three or four words, but eventually they get to be many, many, many words, some of them. And uh, especially early on, um, although they provide you with like a palette of possible guesses um, and theoretically, you could guess a full phrase correctly from the beginning. It seems almost impossible. And until you've got a large number of samples, I guess this actually felt pretty realistic for delving into a, a, a language. But until you have a huge number of samples, you are going to find it really hard to start identi- identifying trends because you're going to see a lot of words for the first time. And it, it, what's, what, what's really helped there is the individual characters and you start to pick up on some of that meaning. So, so that's my favorite aspect uh, of the, of the translation element is that early piece where you're like swimming in new words and you're like, Hmm, that those first few words that you actually do manage to figure out. Mm, so satisfying. You do feel really, really smart when you first figure those out. They're really great. Um, and yes, Shane, I agree. It was, it was really, really daunting at the start. And that was what made it so satisfying is like the farther into that process you got, the more you felt like, wow, I've really mastered something. But of course, you're only kind of actually mastering something. I mean, this is a super abstracted, simplified version of learning a language or deciphering a language. Um, something that the the developer or one of the um, one of the directors, uh, Joseph Humphrey, said in an interview that I really liked was he called it uh, he called it the guitar hero of linguistics, which is to say that like just as playing guitar hero is this super abstracted version of playing guitar that feels like you're playing guitar, but is so much simplified in comparison to an actual guitar and all the skills that's required to actually play one. This is kind of the same thing. It's the, it's the like super simplified abstracted version of learning a language that gives you the payoff of feeling smart about learning a language without, you know, you're still doing some work here. This is still something that, you know, takes some deduction and I, I don't know, just work. Yeah, but it's it's not as complex as it seems on the surface when you're first presented with a bunch of gibberish looking vaguely, I guess, sort of Arabic-ish looking characters. And you kind of have to like start making guesses as to what things mean with almost no context whatsoever. Oh, no, that's a great. I like the the guitar hero version that it's like playing the guitar, but it's not really like playing the guitar and it's not really the same skill set. But I do like the idea that there's so many compounds and so many of the ideas kind of build on each other. So if you learn something that you figured out or you think you have similar words with similar shapes or similar glyphs or whatever we're going to call them, that if light is part of this one, then maybe this one is also heaven or movement. And so some of it looks like certain ideas and some of the same ideas are copied into other kinds of words like it's that analog helps you build things but also gives you so much of a range of connotations and laura talk about the parts of speech like i think you discovered that before even i realized what they were doing totally yes so i realized pretty quickly that a a good way to make better guesses is to 
start looking at uh, parts of speech markers because there are things that you'll start seeing a lot of pictorial symbols over and over again. And you can kind of associate them with an idea or a concept, but then you start looking at the word chunks and you think, okay, this is also using a symbol, but there's something in front of it different. Is it, is it saying it's like this? Is it saying it's of this? Is it saying it's a noun, an adjective? Is it a verb? You can kind of start thinking about parts of speech. And I think that's when I guessed better because uh, often the words underneath may have two or three that work, but only one works for the part of speech or only one works with the symbol. So I think I, I it's kind of a self-confirming way as you, the more you recognize, the more likely you are that your guesses are correct. And it, it, it is daunting, but it's self-fulfilling because if you guess correctly or if you guess incorrectly, once they fix it, you kind of can fix a whole lot in one go. Like once you correct an, a mistake, about 20 words change. And it's great because you might just fix 20 words. It's so rewarding. I love that. <laughs> to, to explain a little bit more about how that works, like I, I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to talk about the sort of parts of speech, like exactly how that how that works in terms of the the language. Obviously, that is something that like is part of the puzzle. But do you think that's too spoilery for us to talk about, like specifically how that works? I I don't want to give away individual characters, but I will sure. say that to me, it felt a little bit like. I don't speak German, but it felt like my interpretation of German, which is that a word and concept is really five or six glyphs stuck together. Yes. Each each means something. So like once you kind of look at a bundle, you can be like, oh, that is this, 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 not this, which I guess is a way you could describe heaven. (laughs) So an early example of that is the, like one of the very first glyphs or words with which is a combination of glyphs that you learn is i think it's either god or goddess Mm -hmm. and then um for example like that begins with a symbol that kind of seems if if you find enough words that begin with that symbol you start to realize this is proper nouns or people and then you might find that same combination of symbols but with a different beginning and maybe you come from context to know that that first symbol means uh of or for and so you might find that that same combination of symbols that means goddess combined with for might mean holy in a sense of for goddess, that kind of thing. Um, and it gets much more complicated than that. Uh, there's a lot of these combinations. And sometimes a word might be made up of uh, this for this, not this is like this, like quite complex. Um, and, and you're trying to figure out if it's with, for, or of. And it, it's a really, it's a fun puzzle because prepositions are hard. it's like using a case system without a case system (laughs) yeah and all the combat it 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 varies much like is like german i think what is a case system (laughs) oh sorry yeah so a case system is um in a lot of languages and certainly in latin and greek but also actually in german too um not only do you have like compound words but the endings of words can give you a hint as to their part of speech or even sort of like have the preposition baked in so like the dative is like two or four and the ablative like this particular ending says okay this word is by with or from something or this word in the nominative is the subject and this one in the accusative is the direct object so even there there's like hints at the end of the word that give you a sense of okay this is in general how it's being used so sometimes that's a preposition or sometimes it's like this is what's doing the action so yeah no that's that's absolutely the right intuition i was like ah it's like greek it's like german it's fun. <laughs> 
That's awesome. <laughs> Although it looks like um, like some kind of, I don't know, linear A or like linear B or there's all these like half deciphered. Well, we can we can translate linear B since the 1950s, but there's all kinds of like Bronze Age, like Mycenaean and Minoan languages that people are still trying to figure out exactly what they are or like Maya. There's just so many different things that I was trying to figure out what they were drawing upon. But I think the parts of speech too is is adding to that or using the prepositions or something with the X is like not quite this. Or, yeah, yeah. One of the things I think is really helpful helpful uh, to the player here is that, yeah, this is a constructed language uh, and yeah, we're, we're playing through and discovering it, but the language itself is constructed in a way that I think is very helpful. Of course, there are a lot of these kind of, uh, I guess you'd say ideographic type images where you have like, um, well, I, I'll just say you probably won't have a big trouble figuring out the word for water or something like that it's the it's the trail it's a, the training session is the water yeah <laughs> you'll get you'll get water so so of course that's helpful but also i'm very thankful that they decided to keep uh roughly the same word order and uh i don't know what what the uh grammar i guess as uh, english because yes. if it were diverging from that quite a bit i'd have a a really hard time i'm sure that's not entirely uh, realistic, but it is a huge, uh, valuable concession to playability. I was worried about that, actually. I was like, oh, does the verb need to be at the end? I, I definitely overthought it. And I was like, well, does it really need to make sense in the way that English makes sense? But yeah, as you say, I think it's a lot more straightforward and a lot more learner friendly in that way. It's like, oh, no, this is supposed to make some kind of sense in English. It shouldn't be totally used in a way that is totally abstract or sometimes with the imperatives or like with some of the verbs it seems like you can use the verb in a couple different ways and it gives you that shadow translation in parentheses like mm -hmm. you can use a verb this way but it can also be slightly adapted so it can be singular or plural but yeah those concessions to making it feel kind of like english make it not impossible so yeah thank you <laughs> yeah i definitely had that early on when i was in my guessing phase i i made a lot of guesses were like well, maybe this doesn't have to read like a real English sentence at all. Yeah. And I wound up with a, <laughs> uh, a, an enormous pile of word soup that way. And at times they go, hmm, I, I think there's some kind of, if you try to place a word three or four times, it'll tell you if it's right or wrong. And occasionally they're just like, absolutely not. There's also a game where you try to separate into different uh, words based on what you throw in and they'll keep telling you not to use words until you get it right or you give up. Um, occasionally, there were super long phrases that I gave up on, especially towards the end of the game. But There's also a lot of phrases where the lead character, uh, whose name suddenly I can't remember. Alia? Alia, yeah. She will just look at a, a, a simple uh, phrase or something and say, well, I have no idea how to translate this. And I guess that's the uh, game's way of saying you don't have any, you don't have enough context here. So yeah. there's a lot of logic going on behind the scenes that kind of helps guide you. I think we should also also mention once you've seen and correctly used a word enough times, Alia will tell you, oh, I'm pretty confident about my translation of this word now. And you'll get a check mark that lets you know, okay, you're good. Other words that you're not so sure about will have like a question mark. Uh, to say, maybe this is right, maybe it isn't. And if we didn't completely say it earlier, each time you look at a word where you're trying to decide what of the, say, five or six options in terms of translations it might be, it will show you other words that it thinks are similar that you've already translated in the past, sometimes two or three. Um, and that's extremely helpful because like you, you, know, you might see that situation where, oh, well, there's that there's this same word with a different prefix and I know what that means in this other context. But even if it's just like 
got a couple of overlapping characters in a similar order. Um, it might not mean anything close to the same thing, but it might remind you, oh yeah, I, I remember the last time that I was translating this, I think I thought that this particular symbol meant motion or meant verb or meant life or something like that. Just kind of reminds you where you've seen this stuff before. So while you don't really, well, I still recommend it, you probably don't have to take really detailed notes as you're working through this because it does keep track of some of that state for you. It keeps track of what what words you know, that sort of thing. And at any time you can press a button and get the full list of everything you've ever seen. And you can also see just your un, uh, untranslated things that are unsolved. And uh, it does not auto-solve things for you. So if later in the game you've gotten another 40 words and you go back, you might still have things that when you pop up, it's like, oh, no, you've got all these words now. It is now solved. But it can be really good to go back if you, especially if you're kind of done with adventuring on the map, which we haven't even talked about. Um, it, it's good to look back and see what you've solved and haven't solved just to see what mysteries might still be there. And there are mysteries in this game. There is a lot of, it's not just solving language to know what is on this block. It is a peek back into history. And the whole point is to kind of figure out the mysteries of history did not mean to rhyme there. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> I think it's kind of important that we started by talking about the language learning mechanic here, even though like, so this that might make up about a third of the time that you spend interacting with this game, potentially even less if you're really good at it. Um, but it's pretty core to the experience. Something I thought was really interesting about this is like, you look at this game and this on the surface, this looks a bit like, uh, like a cross between an RPG and a point and click adventure. You know, you're you're walking around talking to characters, and a big significant part of the game is is done through dialogue, um, and uh, and in a sense, inventory management. Although it it you're collecting objects, but it doesn't really do an inventory exactly in that sense. It doesn't really matter. But anyway, I was not expecting this language learning mechanic to be so core to the experience. But there are times in this game where you will be spending most of your time working on the language. Um, you know, maybe for example, late in the game, I found myself sailing around, finding, uh, finding artifacts and doing translations, sometimes pretty much mostly translating for an hour at a time. Um, so that's sort of important to know because if you bounce off of this, uh, this language learning mechanic, I think it's really good. I think it's a really clever mechanic that I found really engaging, but if you bounce off of this language learning mechanic, uh, Ooh, you're gonna have trouble. Almost every moment in this game is punctuated by a language puzzle. Like you can't pick up a rock in this game without getting a language puzzle along with it that you probably are going to need to solve right there or you can save for later and solve it later. But like this game is drenched in these language puzzles. Yeah, the more you know about the context in which you find one of the language samples, the easier it is to translate, uh, which uh, I assume is also true in the real world. Uh, But... um, (laughs) But yeah, it's it's great. later on, you know, you might pick up something on, you know, that gets labeled in your backlog as like scrawled on a wall. But like, where was it scrawled on a wall? Where in the building? What is it near? And and so all of that can help you solve it. So trying to solve the puzzle in the moment is often easier than trying to go back later. And also it's sometimes part of the environmental storytelling. It doesn't always relate, but like sometimes an inscription will appear on a wall and it tells you something about like what happened in this building in a way that 
maybe it's not core to the storytelling experience of the game because it, it rarely like hides any very, very, very important information in these translations. Um, but it is sort of part of the storytelling of the game. You know, you, it gives you context on like how these spaces were used or how these objects were used. On the subject of environmental storytelling, one of my favorite jokes in this game was kind of an environmental storytelling call out. You know, the, the, the term in games, environmental storytelling usually refers to, uh, okay, there's stuff laying around in the level that tells you more about the world or tells you more about what uh, the purpose of the place is and so on. And uh, when bringing uh, a friend uh, to an important ancient temple site, uh, she, our, our, our main character, uh, Alia, brings up, you know, she's like, oh, she, her, her friend says to her, this isn't what I expected it to be like. And she's like, well, what, what did you expect? Uh, finding and she's oh i don't know uh two skeletons laying on the ground embracing each other <laughs> <laughs> which is great because it's an environmental storytelling thing but it's it's also i i mean you're a pompeii expert i think i think that's a thing from pompeii as well right? yeah there's some there's some there's some uh finds like that yeah or like in those supposed gladiator barracks where it's just like ooh, they had an affair they found them with their money bags and their rings and like she was obviously trying to find her lover before she could leave and you're like okay sure no Sure. Can I actually just ask, as you have, given that you have uh, explored Pompeii and you have mm-hmm. dug things up there, presumably, um, did you ever find anything with anything written on it? um i mean besides coins not really so i mean it also depends where you're excavating and the part of pompeii where this dig is situated is kind of um near one of the gates like the porta stabia and it was something where it was um, a location that had been used many different times over several hundred years so it was probably an inn at one point and parts of it were probably like a fast food stall essentially so some of it is like you find animal bones and you find sometimes pieces of you know pottery or coins or things like that but mostly the kinds of things that survive are either really really tough like tiny animal bones or even fish scales um and some of the times it's well actually you find tons and tons of pottery and not always really nice pottery but things that can still tell you stuff so finding inscribed things is pretty rare but there is actually like this was kind of it made me laugh that there's actually a roman name for that it's called like the epigraphic habit and epigraphic is just a fancy name for like inscribing stuff that the romans just loved writing their names on stuff or like making (laughs) any kind of inscription on any kind of object so it is a thing that exists that anywhere like laura was saying you can go in the mediterranean and find thousands of things and like there are so many different corpora of roman and latin inscriptions and other languages too Uh, but yeah usually you don't you know find things where it's like oh look this tells me exactly what it is what it's doing (laughs) but I did like the speaking, oh, the speaking inscriptions too. Um, the, the idea that certain objects say like, I am the sword of truth or like, with this I will write the future or things like that. Like the, the fact that the objects sometimes speak in the first person is actually a super medieval thing. Um, but you also have funerary monuments that do that too. So you, if you read the monument, you're like ghosting or speaking in the voice of the dead person. And so that feels really familiar and cool in a different kind of way. But that's awesome. Yeah, I, I really liked the language of the inscriptions. Like, they, it, it felt authentically antique while still being like, you know, you, you're, you while still being basically modern English in its structure, like something about the way that they were, uh, you know, once you got the actual correct translation and you read these little fragments of text, they felt, um, you know, I, 
I'm trying to wean myself off of using the word evocative because I feel like it's a cliche, but it, they, they felt very um, authentically antique and, uh, and sort of mysterious in a way that I think speaks well of Inkle's Inkle's full of great writers. Uh, but that's like, they did a good job on making inscriptions that are like interesting to decipher. What's the name of the woman who's trans, who's translated the Odyssey? Uh, Emily Wilson. So this felt very much like Emily Wilson, who did a modern translation of the Odyssey, which was taking something that was very old and putting modern words to it. I felt that's kind of the tone they were going for, where it's, I mean, you're looking at religious objects, like domestic objects, swords, like what glass is kind of a little bit more fancy than the stuff we use every day necessarily, at least in this game, (laughs) maybe not in actual reality. So it kind of makes sense that you might have something that feels very heavily charged or holy, preserved, uh, fancy. Yeah. And so mysterious. I love it. Like there were so many things where I was like, what does this mean? Or like, what does this refer to? And I think we haven't talked about the dates that's usually, or not always, but often six, your robot friend will tell you something about, oh, this dates from probably about the same era as this thing. So you have all of these layers of history that sometimes change when you find something, or this is probably from the site that we're looking for. And so grouping things and trying to figure out what kind of similarities there are between those types of inscriptions. And I didn't get the sense, maybe you guys did whether or not there were supposed to be separate dialects besides ancient and we i don't can talk think about so them. i think but it was I just like they made one yeah yeah they, they, they made reference purposes. to that like the um that you know there's there's ancient and then there's uh elbereth patois which is descended mm-hmm. from ancient and then there's whatever they speak on iox um so i guess it's just sort of the three and then um even the elbereth patois is, is supposed to be basically ancient they just don't have the writing system anymore they only have the verb the verbal side of it Something I really liked is you mentioned using the layers of history, but you also will say like, this is from the same place. It means people went back and forth between these two sites often. And there was one point in the game where I was able to trace some graffiti I found in one location back to an event at another location. Mm. And that was one of my favorite moments of the game because I was like, oh, I now understand what they were yelling about. Yeah, or the the things where it's like painted. There are a couple places where there isn't something inscribed, but there's actually like some kind of depiction or like maybe this is a map or like maybe it's depicting this other thing. And you're just like, oh, that's so cool. Like I, I want to know more about this thing. But yeah, that sense that you have connection between these places and especially, again, to be super nerdy again, we know a lot of things about the past thanks to shipwrecks too and even like Bronze Age shipwrecks. So yeah, that idea of connectivity, um, connecting different places and how that makes sense feels really, yeah, really resonant and makes a lot of sense for from an ancient kind of perspective they obviously had some fantastic people consulting on this i haven't looked up and seen who that is or people that have a really good kind of working knowledge of you know how cultures evolve and change and use language like a lot of these things are like oh yeah now we found this one piece and we can do something else with it or better yet sometimes you don't need every single piece and maybe we're going to talk about that but the idea that you can get like three or four pieces and if you can't solve the inscription you can still get a sense for where another site might be and the openness of the world with that now that you mentioned shipwrecks, I'm just thinking, yeah, they probably did have great consultants because they have lots of, I guess, history Easter eggs in this game yeah. where there are definitely spaceships and sometimes you wander on little ruins and there are little spacewrecks. Spaceship wrecks? It's so Spaceship cool. shipwrecks? <laughs> Not sure how that words. To tie this part of the discussion back into the mechanics of the game, uh, there is a really interesting combined interface that combines a map a timeline and your inscription um, mm. 
catalog. Sort of, yeah. So every, every inscription has its place in the timeline, um, and the timeline is uh, interactive and zoomable. From the first moment I opened uh, the game and you hit pause and you hit that timeline, um, you can zoom all the way out and see, okay, well, here's the ancient period. Uh, here's the uh, empire. Here's the fall of the empire. And you can zoom way in and, oh, well, here is now. Here's my birth. Here is 10 uh, minutes ago when I found that bowl. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, so it's it's really, um, it really builds there. Like, you know, you're filling in the map, but you're so much also, uh, your effort is spent filling in this timeline that, you know, because ha- you have all three of those things, you know, places, times, uh, and your kind of actual translation work uh, all tied in in a single interface, that to me felt like, uh, oh, well, this is my notes. This is my notebook. And it was neat. It felt very Return of the Obra Dinn for people who played yeah, that game. Yeah, yeah. It keeps filling in your history for you. Yeah, I have to admit that, like, I think that, I mean, so Return of the Obra Dinn's um, interface for that is absolute gobsmackingly genius. Whereas this, I found pretty confusing at the start. Like, I, it's it definitely does all of those things in one consistent interface, which is an accomplishment in and of itself. But when I was first getting started in this game, I found the interface of the timeline and, like, logbook thing, the pause screen, basically, I found it completely confounding. I could not understand how to use it. And there's simple stuff like if you uh, if you hit the left uh, D-pad button, it doesn't go left. It zooms out to view all. And like things like that just like continually frustrated me through the entire game. I, I figured it out eventually, but like this is an in, this is a menu interface where you have to use both sticks because they do different things like on, on your on your gamepad. It's a it's a bit of a confusing interface. Um, I got a, I got used to it, but yeah, don't if you if you feel frustrated at the start, uh, give it some time. It, it, it makes sense eventually. And luckily, it's not as essential as the inscription interface, which I, I think is yeah, much smoother. That is very to good. me. It's we've talked so much about words and language and story, but we haven't mentioned this is a huge visual departure from uh, eighty days. Mm-hmm. It is eighty days was much more just a reading experience with a few characters drawn. This is actually 3D environments you're walking through, and it's really distinct. I mean, they got this. Uh, you are uh, playing a character who actually wears a hijab. It's it's much more. You know, it takes that multicultural feel of 80 days forward, especially in the architecture. These environments have a lot of Moorish, Ed, Roman, and like all these different ancient time periods kind of molded on one. And, and as you move around, you can see different. You know, sometimes it does feel spacey, but it's always space history. Um, but I, I think it, none of this stuff was present in their previous games. Um, I credit that, I think, to a lot of the four-year time break between yeah. uh, 80 Days and this. But it's a pretty distinct art style for, um, I think, the characters are very different from the environments. I, I, have, to, I have to say that I don't love the, the way this game looks. Like, I don't dislike it. I think it's fine. Um, but I think a lot of the visual style of this feels like concessions to a small team taking on a project that has really, really epic scope. Um, and they've done some very smart things to manage to do something that like, if I had to describe like how this game feels to play minus the puzzle and language element, um, it feels a little bit to me, and this might be a weird comparison, but it feels like a little bit like a, like a combat free mass effect. You know, we're, we have a, um, we have a, a RPG like story, um, with dynamic, interesting characters, lots of dialogue choices to make, uh, a, you know, a narrative that spans many planets where you have to, you know, travel from planet to planet, land, wander around speaking to people. Um, and like 
this is a team of seven people, uh, two lead people, uh, making a game that has a scale that like, at least for me felt mass effect. Like we're talking about like on the, on the level in terms of scale of games, zillions of times larger in terms of budget and team. And so they had to make probably a lot of concessions into what they were going to do. They did not have 3d character designs. All of the characters are presented as these sort of flat models and they've done a very clever, um, illustrated rotation style where you do have a free roaming camera and 3d spaces. So you, you know, Alia can walk around and you can see her from any angle, but what it's doing is essentially flip booking through pre-drawn illustrations of Alia doing different expressions and standing at different angles. So, you know, you're, uh, you're a 2d character, a bit of a cutout wandering around a 3d space that feels sort of like a flip book. Um, and it also has very minimal animation. You know, there's characters have a uh, visual novel esque sort of expression templates that it can flip to, to have visual, you know, expressions on their faces. Um, but you know, we're talking about really low frames per second animations. Like, you know, we're talking about flip book style or even like, you know, two frame per second. Their, their walk cycles are like five drawings. So it's extremely lo-fi on the character model animation front, um, which feels like a concession to having to build this extraordinarily complex world with such a small team and small budget. Um, I, I don't, lo- I don't hate it. I don't love it. I think it's a smart set of concessions that works. It's like a, it, I am impressed by how, the, how well they were able to make this work within what they, what they were able to I think to the do. illustration was very good. Yeah. So they were making use of, you know, looks like very good hand-drawn illustration for all of those characters. And as a, uh, it, what what that allows you to do is to have like a, a broad variety of expressions and have these moments where you show a really cool backdrop and you have your character from whatever angle you want and they're talking to each other and you're able to achieve that kind of scene which is very hard to do in a video game on uh, you know this kind of a scale which is which is terrific you know so uh, you're gonna get these scenes where you have you know good framing good camera work characters standing. Uh, against one another and and having a discussion and having I've seen games that did all of this kind of thing in 3D but really didn't stick the landing on that kind of character on character interaction mm-hmm. and you kind of have to do that especially in a game like this that is not fully voiced you know you're going to be reading everything that everyone says so if this game had tried to shoot for those 3D characters and had fallen anywhere short of like really really great it might have ruined the game for me so I think they they picked a really good spot here for it yeah, to me, it was uh, clear that they spent most time on the backgrounds and environments. Uh, it's almost like um, there's a, an artist named uh, Maurice Noble who was famous because he worked on Snow White and he worked on all the Roadrunner cartoons and he just drew backgrounds. Like That's all he did. Mm. And the backgrounds look spectacular. And then there's kind of 2D characters in front of it doing stuff. So if you ever look at the background of Pinocchio, there might be incredible painted backgrounds and then everyone's just kind of acting in front of it. It, it felt like that art style wise. Um, not saying these are the most detailed environments I've ever seen, but they did convey a sense of wonder. And to me, it was less the amount of detail and more of the particularness of the choices they made. Like you could tell that they thought about, okay, this is a planet where water is scarce. There are, these are the decisions I'm making, you know, this building should look out of place. This building should look in place. Like those decisions were there. So I was able to forgive a lot of the shortcuts because I liked what was there. At times it did really bother me that uh, I, I am, like I want to be in Ann Jones. I want to pick up, if there's a crate, I want to look in the crate. Mm-hmm. So 
I'm always bothered when you're in a cool looking place, you can't look in things, um, especially if you can look in some things and not others. But again, that's a quibble. Um, I think often it's just, this is a cool place to be in. Uh, I'm going to go collect some words yeah, or artifacts. Yeah. And sometimes the shortcuts that they took uh, in order to, you know, do this sort of presentation um, ended up allowing them to try some things that I think are interesting artistic choices too. So the one that stands out to me is that uh, when Alia or really any of the characters are walking around in the space, obviously it's sort of this cutout of a person, right? Um, they uh, they occasionally play with the transparency of those character illustrations. So um, a couple of ways that they do that is one, for example, like I, I think I'm speculating here, but you'll find a lot of the characters, their feet are blurry and transparent, whereas their heads are more or less transparent. And um, I think that probably serves two two purposes. One is just a practical one. Um, if you're designing a game where a character has to walk around on unlevel terrain um, and your Disaster. character... And your character is a 2D model, like a 2D illustration of a person, uh, their feet are going to look ridiculous because they're not going to intersect correctly with the ground. They're either going to be sticking through the ground or they're going to be hovering above the ground. Blurring the feet reduces that sort of feeling of of like what like it it, it helps not draw attention to what would be a shortcoming. Um, but also the sort of ghostly nature of the characters, uh, the developer said in one of their interviews that they did uh, was that they they kind of used that to kind of allude to the, well, I'm, I'm not going to put it quite as well as they did, but they wanted to kind of give a sense that like as Alia is exploring these spaces, we're constantly thinking about these spaces history and about Alia creating a history in these spaces that also is sort of lost to time like so much of history. And so Alia, every time she stops walking uh, and then starts walking again, kind of leaves a ghostly image of where she was standing for about a second. Um, and they didn't need to do that. That's not like a technical thing. That's an artistic choice. And it, they, they said in their interview that it's about kind of giving this, like in every moment that's that visual element is kind of reminding you of how she's sort of leaving her trail in history. Um, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I love that so much. I was wondering about that too, that yeah, whether it's supposed to be, are they ghostly or that they're, I don't know, their experiences in each of these places will leave traces or they won't or everything that you do will change something or not. I just thought thematically that was just so cool. I love that they were I'm glad that they were thinking about that because I had a curiosity about that. I was like, ooh, was that intentional or is that, as you were saying, to save some of it? But I love the idea that it's both. Ah. Yeah. I, I think you know, that's that's one of those sort of happy accident kind of things. I think that Inkle is really good at like these sort of synergies between like they're, they're coming up with technical uh, implementation stuff that's really interesting. We'll talk in a minute, uh, I think, about uh, how Inkle does scripting, which I think is fascinating, and how that intersects with um, their just their artistic choices it's, it's really interesting so very entertaining to me to talk about artistic style and places you went not knowing if you guys all went to the same places um one of those things is um you can sail around a map there's a whole sailing mechanic which is 
uh, very beautiful, but also kind of boring. Um, <laughs> um, uh, it's very pretty. It, it's arguably the prettiest part of the game. Um, it's certainly the, the most... only part that's entirely in 3D. Yeah, it's all Once in 3D. again, that's a, uh, a great example of realism in the game, because sailing itself in the real world... Beautiful but boring. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I I literally jump for joy in Wind Waker when I figured out how to fast travel. Yes, uh, and in this game, if you find sailing pretty but boring, I mean sometimes it's great because you have good conversations and you can kind of it's like driving. If you have a good conversation, it's tolerable. But if you're just driving and there's nothing going on, it's the worst thing in the world. Um, so I, I think sailing is arguably one of the most visually defining things. But there's a reason we didn't start there. Yeah, I, I think it kind of helps to explain a little bit about what that's all about. Um, this game is a space game, but it's not a space game in the traditional sense. You're not exploring the universe in a traditional space game way where you go from planet to planet or star system to star system and, you know, warp drive engage, that kind of thing. This all takes place in a nebula of habitable moons. And it makes some references to the fact that there are no suns here. There are no planets. These are all these tiny habitable uh, rocks floating in suspended in a nebula full of rivers. These are literal water or it's not clear. I think whether they're water or some other sort of celestial. It's material. a mystery. Right. Don't solve it. <laughs> right. But um, the robot said something about it for me at one point, but I, uh, quickly forgot exactly what you yeah. something about ice crystals i don't know yeah but like there's each each of these moons has sort of rivers of uh of what looks like water literally flowing from place to place in a kind of a grid network of of like um one-way streets between all of these moons and so your your sailing meaning means that you have a boat that looks like a straight up boat like well actually it kind of looks more like a beetle made of wood with a sail on the front but it's a dragonfly Oh, that's true. It's very dragonfly-like. Yeah, that's I love the design name, too. I mean, it's a dragonfly. Like, oh, yeah. it's called, yeah, it's it's called very Nightingale, low right? The Nightingale. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry, the Nightingale. Yeah, yeah. But no, it does look like a dragonfly. Yeah, I love it the look of both. it. I love the look of it, and um, the fact that it's lit- like it, on the inside, it is lit- it's literally made of wood. Um, I, I love the uh, moment in the in the thing where they were talking about how they don't they don't make ships anymore, and it's because they don't have enough wood. Um, like, well, they, they're living on these tiny little moons. Of course they don't have enough wood. There's no places to get wood. There's hardly any water. It's really interesting. But anyway, these, these ships are literal wooden ships that they can use to sail these rivers between the moons. And that's really cool. And it's also super different from what I was expecting, knowing that this was a game that takes place in a, you know, in space. Um, but also, yeah, that, that whole mechanic is like <sighs> kind of boring. I really wish that it were more interesting, but I'm not sure how you make it more interesting. I think, as I mentioned, if you, you're having a good conversation, you can keep that going. It, it is a place where you get a lot of lore background, yeah. and you can also stumble upon uh, unexpected ruins as you go. If you see something interesting, you can kind of grab it, look there. Uh, they're not for locations. The robot will jump down, uh, what they call a hopper, to the surface, You know, grab you a coin and come back up and give it to you. But I, I think if, if you don't like it, a recent patch they've added will let you skip it. You can just pass the control to your robot and you can go take a nap on your hammock. Thank you, Inkle. So it drastically sped up this game. Had I had that earlier, I probably would be two hours less on my playtime. Yeah, I think I, um, I think I'd only been playing the game for about two hours before I got the first update on PS4 and it added that feature. And I, um, I had seen somebody mentioning that on Twitter. I'm so glad 
So I didn't, I didn't like notice it in the patch notes or whatever, but I'm so glad that they added that feature to sort of, um, it's not exactly a fast travel. It's like you set a, you set a, a, a waypoint for where you want to go. And assuming that there is no important dialogue that the game wants to deliver to you. And also that you're only traveling over rivers that you've already traveled over before. So known, you know, known path, uh, then at some point, during that process of, of sailing, you get a button prompt where you can hit it to turn over the, the tiller or whatever and have, uh, uh, have six, your robot take you the rest of the way there. Um, and that was a good compromise because you still do have to do quite a bit of sailing yourself, particularly when you're exploring new areas. But if you're just getting from A to B, um, you don't have to do the whole thing A to B again and again yourself. I, th- I found the, um, you know, you, we, we keep talking about how would we make the, uh, the sailing more interesting because it seems like everyone found that to be a little bit lacking. Uh, the visuals there were pretty darn good. I feel like if they had pushed that really hard and given you even more variety to what you're seeing, um, and make, made each region, uh, of the nebula even more distinct. It still wouldn't have been fun to drive. I I, I don't even think it was that. I think just like the physicality of like, you you have a, you have like a a veer left and veer right button. And like, just the, the, it didn't feel good. Like I, I played, I I think it's just really safe. Yeah. Um, You can't hit anything. And if you miss your turn, it will reset you. So I I think it it felt very safe to, it, it let me focus on the dialogue and it let me focus on finding places I had been before, which is good but the trade-off for that was that the mechanics to get through it had to be very simple yeah. so that I could spend 90% of my time having a pretty intense conversation about uh, mysteries of the game. And that was a trade-off. Yeah, I still don't think I would have taken that trade-off because the dialogue that it delivers while you're in transit is so often sort of like, it feels much less, like it feels like there's a whole separate script for the dialogue that happens in mm-hmm. transit and almost none of it is ever allowed to be consequential um, because, you know, they don't know, I guess, like what point in the game you're going to receive what point parts of the, of the travel dialogue. It's just, it's, it's the least inter- interesting dialogue it's in the game. It's just lore. It's, it's just backstory. It's back yeah. And sometimes yeah. that's what you want. Sometimes yeah. it's not. I mean, uh, you're talking to someone who like read all the George R. R. Martin histories and liked them. So mm-hmm. <laughs> Your tolerance will vary. Personally, I would I would have preferred that this game do away with that that entire system and have travel between planets be literally a menu, maybe interspersed with a dialogue scene that happens more or less automatically. Like, and don't make me do the driving myself. Now, that's probably different from what other folks will feel, and I don't think that spoiled anything for me. Like, I didn't I didn't like hate the driving, or I keep trying it driving the, the sailing. It feels like driving. It, it does. Yeah. yeah. And it, it feels like driving all on one-way streets, which we know we all know how we how much we love driving on empty one-way streets. That's the most fun type of driving. Um, I found it hard, especially on a keyboard too, because for oh most of the game I was using it that way. And so between the mouse and the keyboard, and sometimes you can sort of like speed up the sail and spread the wings. But trying to do that with the letters on the keyboard, and then also trying to do the dialogue at the same time, I actually found oh. it more difficult. So I'm betting with a joystick, it's maybe a little smoother, but probably it's even easier. Because it's just the top buttons. Oh, go right, go right. left. It's very simple. Um, so I, I, it feels probably much pe- more peaceful 
it made me seasick actually like although tacoma kind of made me feel kind of seasick so i feel like vr is maybe not for me but yeah i mean between my lack of ability to do that and have a conversation at the same time and not really being able to drive i was like oh but yeah that sounds like a much more pleasant experience for as pretty as it was i was upset that i was like i feel nauseous (laughs) i'm turning upside down because i'm so bad at sailing (laughs) my favorite things about that and that's all i'll say about this particular feature my favorite parts were when it really emphasized the three-dimensionality and the twists and turns of these uh, space rivers. There are some moments where you turn and twist through a, like, you go over a giant rapid or a uh, a reverse waterfall, uh, and it brings you up and reveals a a cloud full of, uh, or a a new sky full of clouds and rocks that you've never seen. That part is, is great. So if they if they had a way to really double that down. But yeah, it it really is just a way to get from point A to point B. So I I guess I kind of think of this game as divided into threes. Uh, and there's the, the third of the game that is spent uh, learning the language. There's the third of the game that is spent um, exploring spaces. And I guess I kind of file the, uh, the like um, sailing aspect under that too. And then there's, there's a third of the game that's spent talking to people in a dialogue system. And I mean, if you've played other Inkle games, we kind of know that Inkle does dialogue systems better than almost anybody else in the industry. Like thinking back on things like 80 days, uh, which had uh, incredible, it was like almost entirely driven through dialogue. It had some fun um, mechanics regarding things like what are you going to pack and like managing an inventory. But most of that game was about uh, dialogue, talking to people, and all of the really consequential stuff in that game happens through dialogue choices. And this game is pretty similar to that. Like it has really, truly consequential, meaningful dialogue choices in a way that you don't usually feel like you have in video games. One of the interesting things about the dialogue system to me um, is that it really seems to flow together with a lot of the uh, exploration elements. Uh, you have your constant companion the robot six and you're in almost continuous dialogue with him and it kind of flows that into the space exploration where every time you walk into a new space there will be little waypoints or selectable elements that can trigger new dialogue choices and then there's it continues to refer back to those because every every time you introduce some new area, it really affects the dialogue ongoing between the two main characters. So that part, they managed to really blend something they already do well with something that they're doing for the first time in a really good way. Often you're looking at something and you'll have one of three choices, one of which is usually really mean. (laughs) The character's pretty mean, by the way. Um, And also she can guess at what the place is based on her transcription. So it seems like there's a lot of different dialogue choices that you can go into. It's not um, as simple as some of them that you pick one, two, three, and like you go down path one and then you can go down path two and then you can go down path three. It doesn't often you choose between two dialogue choices and you'd never get to see that other tree again. Um, I think that's really, that sounds very technical, but your impact on the game is that, um, you make a decision about what you think is happening, and then that might be the basis for your, entor- your entire ter- interpretation of the area. Um, and also, like, Six can get mad at you, but uh, it's kind of required to follow you around. So it, your relationship with the other characters, you can annoy people, um, you can satisfy people, you can lie to people, 
Uh, it's not often that you get that many dialogue choices that really did seem to change the game. And after our spoiler break, I, I want to talk about this game with you more than others because I do not feel like I was on rails as much as I might have been. Yeah. Um, something I think Inkle is amazing at is that like a lot of developers, and you know for, for good reason, aren't able to put resources into content that many of their players will never see. Um, and so because of that, their dialogue choices have to be fairly restrictive. You know, you can't have a choice to have a, uh, you know, a conversation with a character that 10% of people will see because it relies on, you know, a, a sequence of three different choices preceding it that maybe only, you know, 10% of people will actually make. Um, that's why so many games have like, you know, maybe you have dialogue choices, but what that means is you have like the Paragon and the Renegade choices where you can say something nice or you can say something mean and that's it. Um, and those don't kind of branch in a meaningful way. Um, something that they said in an interview that I thought was astonishing is that this game keeps track of obviously keeping track of like a state of the game. Like what do the characters know? What objects do they have? Where have they already been? Uh, what do the various characters think of them and so on? Uh, and they, they think of those in terms of facts and they have a state tracking system that apparently keeps track of something like 3,500 facts, uh, during the course of the game. Um, that's massive. That is insane. And so every dialogue choice is informed by like, you might have options to say something or not say something based on all of those existing facts, you know, your current state in the game. Astonishing. Um, and I, I think a lot of that comes from, we'll talk in a minute about, um, I, I I'm fascinated by the way they script their, their work, the Inkles ink system, um, how that allows them to be so versatile with their, with their scripting. But it's, it's really something like, if how, I can how, jump in there, the yeah. Inkle podcast is really good. Uh, I don't know that they're still doing it. Uh, they may have kind of dropped off. I haven't seen a new episode in a while, but they have a, I need to go back and check it. I'm sure they've revived it for this game. Uh, they have a, a lot of like discussions amongst their developers. And one of the ones that I heard a while back was their discussion about like, the creation of this ink system. And so if, if this is something that's interesting to you, you can go and learn a lot about it. One thing I do remember is that this is a system that, uh, I don't know what kind of license they have, but they make it available for other games and other developers to use uh, just because they see a need in the industry for a really flexible uh, dialogue uh, scripting system that could be... Uh, outside of, you know, your roll your own game engine setup. So something that when I listened to that podcast that came up was that 80 days alone had 200,000 words. I do not know the count of Heaven's Vault. Um, I bet it's up there. So it's, it's, it's gotta be up there. Someone else, um, I think it was Rock, Paper, Shotgun said that this game was more uh, Le Guin than LucasArts. So it's, it's got a lot of <laughs> verbs in it. Like there's just a lot of density to it. Um, mostly because people are, you know, when you're, you're going around and making choices, I rarely, uh, I rarely experience in a game when I do not know what the right choice is. And when I do not know what the effects of the choice I make will be. Mm-hmm. And in this game, I had a lot of uncertainty. I didn't know if what I was doing was the main path or a side quest. There's really no distinct, it's, it's completely nonlinear. And I didn't really know if I was doing something that everyone else would see, or that was just me doing something special. And I also didn't know that even when I had confirmed language, correct, 
if I was actually getting it right or if I was just canonically moving forward. Like, can I get words wrong? I don't think so. I think you have to have a single canonical correct translation of a word. But the game would probably let me go for quite some time with an incorrect translation, change all the words, and then once I scratched that out and replaced it with a new one, I would kind of, the game would then change all the dialogue choices. So my mistakes inform the game a lot more than other places where mistakes are super obvious. Uh, There's a lot more uncertainty whether you're on firm ground or not that feels very correct archaeological. Yes. (laughs) I love that you, that's fab. I didn't know nothing about the ink system, but I also felt very, I don't know, worried or lost at certain points, but it was sort of exciting that I knew that I was within certain bounds and I could die or not die. And we can talk about that later. But, but yeah, I love that idea that it is so consequential because it felt really consequential. I wasn't sure how mean I should be or how kind I should be. And we can talk about replays later in the second half, but the, when I started replaying the game after I finished it the first time, I made different decisions and totally different options opened up or were totally closed off based on what I said. Like I knew certain things that I wanted to happen and I could no longer recreate those things or allow them to happen because I closed off a different dialogue. And I was like, oh, that's it's hugely consequential. I Wow. I love that that's a feature of the game and that, that it's not just something that was like, well, maybe I'm not used to playing this type of game and I'm not really sure, but it's like, oh no. Like, I almost wondered if there's totally different versions of the mythology that can change based on the order and the way that you frame it. Like, does the history even change? That would be even huger, but... Yeah, wild. Unclear. It's kind of great that we don't know the answer. Yeah. yeah. I don't want them to answer that. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> it makes me want to go back and replay everything. <laughs> and we've been talking about that ink system a little bit, and I... I, I I mean, unless you're following the developers at Inkle on Twitter and, you know, reading articles on Gama Sutra, you could be excused for not knowing. Or anything. listening to their terrific podcast. Or listening to their <laughs> awesome podcast. You might not know anything about it. And I I think it's fascinating. So I want to talk a little bit about, like, why I think their approach here is so revolutionary and really enables them to do some interesting things that a, a team this size shouldn't be able to do. Um, so Ink is their script system for writing games. They've been using it since the Sorcery games, um, and they developed it further on 80 Days. After the release of 80 Days, they open-sourced it, so it's available for you to download. You can get a bunch of examples of how it's used. They have an editor that you can download and use to write their scripts, or write scripts in their format. But what's what's important about Ink is that it's not just like a traditional game script where um, you're either just writing a text script for dialogue scenes that play out, you know, as is, or some games create their dialogue in the worst possible way, an Excel spreadsheet, um, where they have to, uh, you know, when you're keeping track of all this complex uh, state and you need to have, um, you know, keys for whether or not to say something in a particular type of dialogue, then you have to literally write it into an Excel sheet. That sounds nasty. So they created a markup language uh, called Ink. And um, an ink script is combination of the dialogue of the game and also lots of other stuff that is important to that dialogue. So things like a kind of a knowledge model where, you know, what do you know and, and, uh, and what don't you know, um, as well as like conditionals for like, well, can we say this because we don't know whether they know a thing or not? Um, and also sort of inter- what they call interactive film script elements, things like camera shots and sounds. So you might write out a a scene in ink that says, you know, if the player knows this, then we can go into this dialogue tree. If they don't, we have this alternate dialogue tree. And during that, maybe at this point, we're going to play a sound. Maybe we're going to do a a particular type of, uh, of uh, visual 
camera shot, uh, and all that becomes part of a, a script that's written out in just literally text. Um, it's got special formatting because it's a markup language, but it's basically just text. And that makes it very flexible um, because they, they can separate that dialogue uh, and basically script element from the game itself. The game engine uh, interprets that script and can do can d- display it in a visual way. So you know you might write out a scene that has a conversation. The game engine looks at that scene and figures out, okay, we've got two people talking to each other. I need to do an over the shoulder shot here, and I can alternate between those two over the shoulder shots automatically, programmatically, based on you know who's talking when you're reading through your dialogue. And then of course you can override that in the script with things like uh, at this point we want a, a, sh- a shot of the building, that kind of thing. Um, and that that means that they can do things like take a dialogue scene that they've written in one location. They can have a dialogue scene that's written out and can take place anywhere because they don't need to build special animations for that dialogue scene. They don't need to build, um, you know, uh, specific stuff about the environment for that dialogue scene. These dialogue scenes, because they're just a text script and they're being interpreted by the game engine can take place anywhere and uh, they can alter them on the fly. And it also means that they have the flexibility to alter them pretty late in development. So, you know, you can write a, a scene um, and go back. You know, Tali talked about going back a week before the game was was go to, due to go to uh, publish and, you know, altering a few things. And it's very flexible and easy for them to do that. They can rewrite on the fly without having to create new animations, without having to kind of reblock a scene, basically. Um, that's amazing. In practice, this means that when you have a breakthrough, no matter when and where that breakthrough happens, you can immediately have a conversation related to it. You don't have to wait to get to a certain part. Like you don't have to walk through a door and then that triggers something. Occasionally, yes, if the door is significant, but most of the time it's like, it actually feels like your choices are triggering the dialogue and it's not just like, hi, we're supposed to have this conversation now because you have arrived here. There's a little bit of that. I mean, when you walk into a room, you do change your conversation, but it's not necessarily like, now I am going to tell you about the history of this location. <laughs> you can do that when you've walked into the village, when it actually makes more sense. And it allows for sort of walk and talks, right? You know, you can you yeah. can start a conversation and part of the part of the charm of this game is that you can be exploring a space while also having a conversation with six. And um, it's able to adapt to where you are in terms of things like, where do I put the camera? Are we, are we walking around right now? Or are we standing still and having a dialogue scene? Um, it's, it's very clever. Yeah, my quibble that you walk very slowly Ugh. is helped by the fact that there's a lot of dialogue and it's, not, it's not a chore to go through their dialogue. Yeah. They're good writers. There are games where the dialogue is a pain and I hate it. This is not one of those. <laughs> totally. Thank God, because that's what most of the game is. Yeah. It's a game about language. The words have to be good. Let's and be it's, real. It's always so interesting. I mean, there's so much mystery and so many things. And I also like, I was going to say the same thing that you can speed up a lot of the very slow walking with conversations. But I also like that if you want it to be quiet, you can add additional, well, you could be quiet or you can add additional talking or at least on the Skype or on the um, Steam version of the game, you have two buttons where you can say, ask a question or respond oh, yeah, or yeah, you can be silent. So for a long time, I didn't ask questions and I wasn't sure in the early stages, like how much revealing or how revealing 
feeling anything I said would be to other characters who were around, six included, like whether or not I thought I could trust him in the early sort of stages. But I realized how much more information I was getting from that. But if I don't want it, I don't have to use those buttons at all. And I can just sort of look at things or wonder Mm -hmm. uh, or or move to a different space. And then the questions will change. So I don't even know how much I'm adding or losing for better or worse. But it certainly allows you to modify how much dialogue you want, depending on where you are and with who you're with. I had a question about the whole interface that I, I I couldn't figure this out. Maybe somebody else did. Uh, as you walk around, you're in dialogue with characters, and you're 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 getting these uh, prompts that are either uh, make a statement or ask a question, essentially, and uh, remark or question. Uh, every so often, those buttons would be glowing in a different color, like yeah. pink. Like the the remark would turn pink or something. Right. Yeah. Did that mean anything to you guys? I couldn't figure that out. That to me meant that you were going to be that it was important that you talk now that that was a new direction or a new piece of information or an insight your character had and that you had to say it to start kicking that off um often it triggered when for example um your character would quote notice something you'd walk up to something and look at it and then it would have a like a pink button that was like ask six a question about this object Six knows more than you. Yeah. <laughs> you could opt out. I mean, I never did. I always hit the pink button. Yeah, more dialogue is always the choice I was going to make in this game, but I guess it's it's important that that isn't always the case. It was a good nudge mm-hmm. to me. So we're talking about the size of this game and how much, you know, I hate to use the business analogy of the iceberg because I hear it all the time in consulting and it's lame, but it really is. You you get a tiny bit of everything available. Um, I will wait a little bit before I play this game again, but I started again because I was super into learning this language and learning the mysteries. And there were things I wanted to know at the end of the game that I did not just like I did in 80 days. So they have a new game plus mode where you go back through and you keep all of your language knowledge and all of your guesses and you can continue moving forward. Something I was thrilled about is that the inscriptions get harder in new game plus. So you get an object at the beginning of the game. Uh, I assumed it was going to have the same words on it. It is same tonally it conveys the same type of information but it's easily five or six words longer wow um that's so you cool. look at a statue that <laughs> just said like two words at the beginning it's i it's the first one you get so it literally says water goddess on uh, it yeah, like yeah. i'm you will figure out water goddess i'm not worried about you guys i do not count that as a spoiler but when you revisit that statue it says like what i interpreted to be like holy goddess of the fields that's a lot longer than Water Goddess, and also <laughs> I didn't have two. I didn't have the word fields. I, I mean, I don't. I still don't know if fields is correct. That was a guess. So it, it's much longer glyphs, much longer sentences. Um, if you really like the language, and you want to do different dialogue choices, um, even important objects will have different phrases on them that convey the same meaning. So I think it's you know I'm going to give myself a little space so I'm excited about the plot again. Yeah, but I think. 
it will be worth my time to replay when I get there. I think this is, it's, it's interesting that they're doing a new game plus, um, you know, looking at something like 80 days, that's a game that altogether might take an hour to play through. And so it's really designed for multiple playthroughs. Um, this game is 15 ish hours and definitely doesn't feel as designed for that. We'll talk a little bit about the ending after the spoiler break, I think potentially, but I will say that like, I would love to reload a save from just before the ending and continue before it. There's a, there's a a place towards the end of the game where you kind of hit a one way street that takes you to the end of the game and there's no going back. Um, And having the option to do a new game plus is great um, because there's definitely choices I didn't get to make or uh, avenues I didn't get to explore that I would have liked to have been able to do. Um, But I would have liked more flexibility about the end of the game. Uh, this 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 has a total autosave system. There's no manual saves, and so there's no way for you to sort of like save scum or like go back and and uh, redo something that you didn't like the way that it turned out, um, without playing the entire potentially 15 hour game again. Um, I I would have liked that flexibility because particularly just at the end, I kind of felt like I ended the game abruptly and would have liked some more time to go and do some things that maybe were kind of on my vague checklist that I didn't get a chance Agreed. to do. Absolutely, yeah. Um, um, and the new game plus is kind of helps with that, but not really. Um, so like new game plus very cool. And I'm glad that it, it has that, but I kind of would have liked more, um, more flexibility. So we will have a spoiler break, uh, here in a moment. Um, so, uh, if you haven't played the game, we're going to be discussing stuff that is deep spoilers. And I don't recommend listening to the spoiler break if you haven't played the game, but if you have, uh, we've got some interesting stuff to talk about post spoiler break. So stick around for that. Before we do that, uh, listeners of this show probably know that we have a segment we like to do called what's making you happy this week. We'll try and keep it short because this is a longer episode, but, um, first to our guest, what's making you happy this week? Oh, sure. Um, so yesterday, um, I went to, um, a local plant sale. They have like native plants, um, like things that are good for pollinators. <laughs> so, nice. uh, I bought a couple of things that are essentially ground cover because I only have a container garden, but I was really excited to plant these things that are essentially like flocks or other things that are not really meant to be deep rooted plants that will attract birds and bees and butterflies and things that are good for uh, the mid Atlantic region where I'm based. Um, so yeah, planting those is an exciting thing. That's one thing that's making me happy this week. Awesome. Uh, Shane, what's making you happy this week? I discovered the new adaptation of The Tick, which actually came out in its first season in 2016. Oh, it's so good. I'm still, I'm watching it right and... now too, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. So this is a great show. Um, it, uh, I, I, the tick has been part of my life since I was a kid. I had some of the comics when I was younger, uh, in, you know, big black and white trade paperback. Uh, I loved, loved the, uh, cartoon adaptation that I think was on Fox yeah. way back in the day. And, uh, the, well, the, the next big adaptation, which, uh, starred, uh, what's the guy I played? Patrick Trunk. Warburton. Patrick Warburton. Uh, so the Patrick Warburton version tried to turn it into more or less of a sitcom with no action or adventure element, It would it, basically. And so that one never really landed for me, and it got very quickly canceled. Uh, this is perhaps, even including the original comics, uh, this new 2016 version is perhaps the most serious take on the tick uh, that <laughs> is even possible. Which, uh, initially it was like, could this really work? Uh, but it does. And it stars, the real star is, in my mind, Griffin Newman, who plays Arthur, uh, who's really the center of the story in this one. Uh, it, it has, uh, Peter Serafanowitz, uh, who was, 
I, I recognized him, but it's one of those actors where it's like, where do I know this guy from? And I, he was the uh, annoying neighbor, I guess, or the kind of jerk character in um, Shaun of the Dead. And he's been in a few other he's things. He's absurdly good in this, but he's he's completely unrecognizable in the giant blue suit. He is. <laughs> he really is. Um, but yeah, so the tick is... In a lot of ways, like a parody of superheroes, it start the the comics are are basically a parody of superhero comics. Um, this show to me kind of feels like a parody of superhero movies or TV, but even more uh, just a parody of like the ubiquity of like superhero stuff in today's culture. I guess we're we're back in a a culture where superheroes are everywhere, and so having a good send up of that. Uh, and just of of the whole superhero vibe, I guess, is uh, is, is great. So uh, it's short. The episodes are like 20 minutes. Uh, there's two seasons out now. And if you're an Amazon Prime member, you can just stream all of it there. So I uh, really recommend it. That's a, it's a really, really good show. You're absolutely right. That's a that's a great pick. Um, I, I guess the thing that was making me happy this week is a bit of a sequel to uh, something that I said about a couple weeks ago. You remember when I said I finally got a library card? Um, I know that's like the dorkiest, dumbest thing to be having fun ain't hard. I know it's not. Well, uh, having fun ain't hard when you figure out how the interlibrary loan system works, uh, which like I've literally (laughs) never done before in my life. Uh, Like never done before. But um, but uh, and this is also going to sound really nerdy. But so like I I love the Retronauts podcast. If you're not listening to that, I highly recommend it. It's a great podcast about retro video games. And they did a episode recently here. Uh, where they talked about Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, um, which um, I've you know seen the movie many times, but I had never even thought about reading the manga, which was uh, illustrated and, and written by Hayao Miyazaki himself um, before the movie came out and also during and afterwards. It's a much longer story than the movie. It takes a bit of a different turn. And um, so I had, uh, I, I've had to go through the interlibrary loan system to get a copy of the, there's a new, ish. I don't know exactly when it came out. Um, publication of that manga. The manga is from the eighties, but, um, there's a, a recent reissue of it that was done as a box set. They finally, it's a, it's a version that no longer has the, all of the images reversed. So you like, so you reading it right to left, which is, you know, they're not, you know, doing a mirror image of everything in the, in the comic. Um, and they're also not like whiting out all of Hayao Miyazaki's uh, beautifully illustrated sound effect art. Instead, mm-hmm. it has an index at the end where it will list what every sound effect means, <laughs> which is pretty <laughs> weird. Because every time you see a sound effect, if you're like, I wonder what the heck sound effect they're talking about here with all these, you know, uh, Japanese uh, text, uh, you could flip to the end and be like, mm, okay, so that means okay, got it. Um, <laughs> But that's it's a it's a wonderful like thousand page long um, piece of work that I'm slowly working my way through now. And um, I, you know, if I hadn't been able to do get it via interlibrary loan, I would never have uh, picked this thing up because first of all, it's massive and also pretty expensive. Um, but it's pretty nice to get a copy of that, and uh, that's what's making me happy this week. Um, Laura, what's awesome. up with you? So I'm going to endorse finishing your projects. So I <laughs> built a computer from scratch. <laughs> Sorry, three I years ago. Fun of you about this. Go and ahead. I literally just had to buy a copy of Windows and a monitor <laughs> and a USB keyboard to finish it. Um, 
And for some reason, this was an insurmountable hurdle. <laughs> Despite that I owned copies of Windows, I just didn't own Windows 10. I, to the point, like, I knew people who worked at Microsoft who'd get me a copy. I asked them for it. They didn't send it to me. I never followed up. I just was super lazy. Uh, I had no excuse. It literally took... I went to Free Geek Chicago, which if you live in the Chicago area, is um, underneath a footlocker and is a place where they restore old computers and sell them for very little. It's a volunteer program. They sell it. They donate. Uh, It's fantastic. Got a monitor and a keyboard for literally $30. Nice. (laughs) And came home and plugged it in and everything worked. Um, So now I have a server. I inexplicably start projects and never finish them. I have a quilt that I've just been kind of dawdling on and all I have to do is finish the edges and I haven't finished it. Um, I Luckily, I'm moving and I was not going to move a computer I wasn't sure worked to New York. So this was my opportunity to do it. I'm overjoyed that it works. I'm really enjoying having it. But honestly, it took me about two hours, including the car trip, to get this thing working. It was ridiculous (laughs) that I hadn't done it for three years. And I bet you probably have something like this too. Hmm. Just do it. Just take the two hours and finish your project. I don't have anything like that. Never. (laughs) Never. (laughs) You've never just inexplicably stopped a project Laura, a mile I, before the I hope finish you can't line. See anything As I'm in the looking around your room, of my, of my <laughs> yeah, you have like 30 projects on your shelves. Just finish one. Uh, thank it's you. It's gonna Laura. feel great. You're right. To finish one project. That'll feel great. That's very good. And <laughs> Laura, awesome. I'm also happy that you have that now because I think that will open up some. I mean, you've you've always been able to play like the the like Steam indie games, but it was always harder for you because you didn't have a it proper. It was computer much harder. It, so. I had to boot camp in, and like I'm going to be so excited to play Ori uh, on a proper machine that will play it without being boot camped in. Yeah. Yeah. So that's great. I'm glad you have that now. That's exciting. Um, yeah. So thank you so much for listening to the short game. We are about to have our spoiler break. If you're new to the show, that means that we are going to play some loud noises and then we'll be talking about spoilers. So when you hear the loud noises, prepare yourself for the spoilers. Um, before we do that, a little bit of admin. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. You can find our show on Twitter at uh, underscore short game or on the web at www.theshortgame.net, which is a great place to look at old episodes. For example, you can go back and search our show notes and find the 80 days episode that we did way back in episode 36 back in 2014 or 15, uh, which if you like this game, uh, I highly recommend 80 days as well. Uh, it's on the phone and uh, or you know mobile and also on Steam and it's great. Check that game out. Much shorter than this one. Um, if you uh, if you want to tell us what short games are on your horizon, you can also let us know through there. So you can go to our website and find our contact form. You can email us at info at the short or you can find us on Twitter at underscore short game. You can find me on Twitter at Reagan K. That's R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. Um, Shane, where can people find you? I'm also on Twitter at 8BitShane. Laura, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Laura J. Nash. And other Laura, I know you're not uh, you're not on Twitter, but perhaps you, I don't know if you have anything to plug or if there's anything that you want to uh, want to say in closing here at the end, anything about uh, your work or how folks can contact you or anything like that. Nope. 
you can just happily direct questions or anything else to the short game or to the other lore, and I'll respond maybe eventually in another way. Um, but yeah, this game is amazing, and so is 80 Days, and so is archaeology. So yes. <laughs> thanks so much Absolutely. for inviting yeah. me. It's so great. Yeah. Endorsement for archaeology. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And so here it is, ladies and gentlemen, your spoiler break. So before we get into the spoiler break, uh, table talk, um, I'm pretty sure I'm the only one who went to, I'm trying to speak in code so I don't spoil anybody. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not too worried about like super spoilers, but Mm -hmm. uh, since I am the only one here who hasn't finished, I'll just tell you, uh, I just left the place where, uh, six was overwritten by some ancient empress. Great. Oh. Okay, so you're further along in the game then. Uh, I don't know if that happened to me. I don't Maybe. think that happened to me. Cool. Oh, <laughs> shit. Okay, I was like, I wasn't, I thought that had to happen. Okay, yeah, we had that experience. Yeah, this is, yeah, that happened to got, me, I Shane. got the scene where you, like, uh, you have the, is that where you, like, meet the, the talking head on a pole kind of thing? Never met a talking head on Didn't a pole. Didn't meet a talking oh. head on a pole. Um, I went to a, did you find the kid? Yes. No. no. Did you... Where did you bring him? Me? Where, Where did you put the kid? Oh, I think I took him back to Elbereth. Okay. I took the kid somewhere else, so I... Okay. Oh, yeah. No, the kid who was in the broken place with the... Yeah. And you have to maybe go up, but you don't. Yes, I took that kid back to Elbereth, too, and he ran away. Yeah, same here. Okay. Didn't do that. So uh, that's how... Okay. I'm trying to figure... And um, did anyone get a thing installed in their arm or a hologram? Nope. No. There's a did lot of branching the, in this. Did anyone go to the mine? Because I think yes. I had a continuity nope. error after the mine. Like something drastic happens in the mine, and then suddenly I'm somewhere else, and someone who should be with me is not with me, and then suddenly they're there, but there's nothing to explain it, and I'm not sure if that's a bug or not. I don't think I got that. I'm not sure what happened hmm. there. Um, who, who are you referring to? Like, who's supposed to be with them? Are you talking about Six? Or six is gone. Like, he's... Yeah, no, yeah. I didn't have that that happened no you, you killed six no <laughs> okay no i went someplace he couldn't go and then i died or maybe i didn't die and then i ended up back in Elbereth. like the hopper took me home somehow but without the ship and without six and then i, I, mean, I got the thing oh the thing this in the mind might actually i don't think that's recordable. i think that's actually yeah no i might i might end up keeping some of this um i, I think that actually that happened to me um so you you meet the sort of statue of the god buried deep in the mine yes. and then you speak a word to it and it tele- teleports you across yes. Yeah, so I don't think that's a um, I don't think it's a continuity error. Or at least when it happened for me, um, a few minutes after I teleported back to Elbereth, uh, Six rolls up and he says something along the lines of like, "I came back here to find you because I, I don't know what he, he had some he had some explanation for how he found me." Oh, well, I couldn't get to the bottom of the mine. So, did you have to go to a, get a drink? Because I was told I needed to go get a drink before I went into the city because I had never explored the place beyond the feet with the, um, mm. the yeah, slums. Yeah, no, I, or the... I don't know if it told me to do that, but I think I did do that. Yeah, yeah, I did that, and I'd never met that guy, and I was like, oh, this place. And then suddenly Six was outside, and he didn't say anything about me being missing or anything. He was just there. I, was like, I wonder oh. if they added a line of dialogue there because it played Maybe. out pretty much that same way, but he had a line of dialogue that said something along the lines of like, uh, I forget how he said it, but something about like, um, coming back here because he uh, tr- back-traced the teleport or some shit. Uh, I don't know. Right. <laughs> okay. Or maybe I played that before they patched it because there was some sort of patch about a reunion and I don't know if I... Oh, that might have been it. Yeah. Do it know. or if that was it. Yeah. Yeah. There's some, there, it was definitely odd, but it felt like they it felt like they had some kind of a like a patch over line of dialogue to explain how he found you. 
Okay. Um, yeah, maybe they didn't have that in the version you were playing because they definitely had. I think when I played it, um, the first version I was playing was like 1.0, like release version on PS4, and then it updated, and I was on like point. 0.5 or something like that so like there were probably some yeah, i got that update before i even started yeah huh, okay. uh, so i i never didn't have the ability to like speed up the uh fly yeah i'll probably try and keep some of what we were just talking about in but the point being that there's massive branches in this that you can experience or not experience depend and so i think a lot of people are going to have very different experiences with this game it, it branches in pretty big ways and that's makes me more excited about the uh the new game plus because like i do think that there's there's a lot of chunks of this game that I didn't get to see and I would love to see them. Um, I, I do feel like at this point though, I'm going to kind of wait for some kind of a guide because like I want to, now that I'm finished the game once through, I'm not sensitive about spoilers and I kind of want to just like, okay, what are the cool things that I missed and how do I get to those? There were a couple that came out after a little bit for 80 days that I, I loved. I, I think I'm already finding a couple of things where people are posting um, their experiences and saying things like, isn't it annoying that you can't go back to Iox ever? Like, what? What? Whoa. <laughs> How did you do that? <laughs> How did you manage to get... It reminds me of Fall in London, where there's literally an option where you can be so annoying, you get, like, you can be so progressive, you get kicked out of the university, and that location closes to your character forever. Wild. Um, I can't replay that game. I can never go back to the university, but apparently <laughs> you can get kicked out of this university somehow. Huh. Um, don't want to do that. But uh, it, it seems like uh, there are a lot of mysteries and a lot of branching. And I think something 80 Days taught me is there's small mysteries mm-hmm. and there's big ones. There's like little dialogue choices that tell you the lore. And then there's like whole new locations or whole new storylines or yeah. events that happen. Right. Um, kind of shocking that you get that much variety in a game of this size. Like, for example... Um, and spoiler for anybody, skip forward a minute if you don't want to hear about a side thing. If you take the kid to Myersi, because there's no kids there and I thought it was nice, um, you he asks you to visit him. And if you go visit him later, uh, he's really lonely. And you have an entire conversation that there are no kids on that planet anymore. Hmm. Um, for some reason, they stopped being able to have kids. And no one knows why. And I was like... <laughs> Well, that's interesting and important. Yeah, and they won't, the game just never told me why. They're like, "Yeah, we just can't have kids anymore. Like, there's no kids here. Clearly, there are no kids anywhere, right?" And you're like, uh, "I saw kids back on Elbereth. This is weird." Um, but also, you go to talk to him, and they're like, "He's being weird. He keeps talking to the pigs." And if you go, he's like, "The kids, the pigs have messages for you." And then he proceeds to write in ancient on the ground. What? That's amazing. And he just writes, he's like, yeah, I go to, I talk to the pigs because I'm lonely and there's no kids. And then I go to sleep and in my dreams, the pigs give me symbols. So someone is transferring ancient to this kid. And they told me what later when I went back to the inscriptions, basically how to trigger the end game. Wow. That's so cool. That's really <laughs> Including weird. Including a message. And they're like, also there's a message for your friend. Give it to her. And her is ambiguous. So you don't know if it's the professor or the version of the robot that chain and i triggered okay. so it's just if i had that experience and none of you guys did there's probably a million of more of those little things um the developers even posted 10 big questions and mm-hmm. a spoiler break i think maybe this is something we should go through because i think it's a really it's a really fun thing the yeah. developers did on the steam forums the developers inkle um put up a list of 10 uh they use spoiler tags so you have to mouse over them but 10 
big questions that uh, you, that you know it, that you can ask yourself after you've finished your first playthrough of the game, um, and you know to sort of see if you've caught some interesting stuff. And I thought maybe we could go through these together and talk about each one. Yeah, and I'd say for the last, if if you are mid game, you're probably safe for our discussion up until like. Eight through ten. Okay. So if you haven't finished the game, including you, Shane, I would bolt after number seven. seven. Yeah. All right. Give me give me the heads up because I still have not finished the game, and I will probably do it because I like it uh, if I can squeeze in the time. Uh, despite that, because I have recently become re re addicted to No Man's Sky. Oh no. <laughs> well, we'll talk about that another time. But ooh. Um, so first question on their list was who or what are the six gods? Now, all I was able to get was like there, okay, there are six gods. They have various aspects like water and so on. And I found the names for, I think three of them, but if they're referring to something more deep than like who or what are the six gods, I'm not positive. I picked up on it. What do you guys think about this one? Well, I think I did pick up on part of that because, um, when I brought, um, the friend who lived on Aya on uh, Elbereth uh, and was like a tinkerer uh, to the ancient site that had the giant pit underneath it that was on that windswept moon. The Withering um, Palace. Yes, the Withering you Palace. You can bring her places? I didn't get to do that at all. No. You can, yeah. bring, her, you can bring her there. Wow. Yeah, There's a couple of places. You, you could basically get her on the ship and go anywhere, but the main reason I was... The, there were a couple of main options, it seemed like. I chose to take her to the, with, to the Withering Palace... Um, she, that starts her on a, um, a, a, she basically realizes that the hopper there. So what I figured out, and if you can tell me if I'm wrong about any of this, is that that was a place where they were making robots by, um, basically they, they put robot, well, not so much making them, overwriting them with living people's minds. Yeah. Yes. And, mm-hmm. um, you sit what, in a chair and then a hopper sends a message through your brain and into the hopper underneath and puts your brain in a robot and then you Yeah, die what they had is the basically chair. a broken hopper that only sent minds. Mm. Yeah. And they captured those minds into a robot. And um, by tinkering with it, she was able to send through some of the mind a mind that was still stored in the hopper, which turned out to be an ancient queen. The uh, first I, empress. The Ooh. first empress. I wasn't quite able to pick out exactly. I didn't spend that much time with the character yet, but uh, I believe that she was being stored there in order to become a god or become one of the gods. Mm. Uh, beyond that, I'm a little hazy. Yeah, you're going to learn a lot more about this. So, and I don't. I didn't get that at all. I didn't. I didn't get to use the. I, I found that hopper, and I could tell that it was like. Um, kind of pointed down into that underground area, right? Which but, is like, so creepy. I love that very creepy, area. right? Yeah. Oh, but like I couldn't, I didn't figure and out. I loved that it was it. base. It looked like a uh, 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 an area that was built for robots because yeah, they 100%. very much emphasized that robots were not good at nar- uh, narrow walkways mm-hmm. uh, and they needed ramps everywhere. <laughs> yes. So yes, ADA yes. compliant historical. Yes, <laughs> so funny. Um, yeah, it's super fun. Um, if you. When you take that path, um, which, again, seems so major, I was uncertain if it was a main path or not, um, you permanently overwrite your robot. Whoa. Wild. Yeah, I, so I didn't cool. do that. Uh, six stayed with me right until the end of the game. Yeah, me too. Um, so the, the next question on the list was, what exactly happened to Janiki Renba? So um, I, I got as far as I could, you know, I found his ship, which I'm pretty sure is a non-optional 
um, discovery. And, yep. uh, um, but it wasn't, I, I never found a satisfying answer for why his ship exploded. Did you guys? They said something about the crashed fuel. on an asteroid. <laughs> yeah. Or that he tried to use like a different kind of fuel rather than just sailing and therefore overloaded the system and it exploded. But yeah, I wondered if they just, if he uploaded his consciousness into a robot before he died or after he died, that was never really, I think that's still one of the mysteries, at least as far as I got. Yeah. That was the first clue I had about robots having human consciousness because six picks up some kind of message that seems to like convert him into Renba Mm -hmm. for a minute. Yeah. And then Renba speaks. Yeah. And I think, Renba didn't, we don't know anything about Renba because he didn't bring a robot with him. So I think something happened to the ship. He couldn't hopper. He had to land. He couldn't hopper up. He had to land a ship. And then the ship crashed. And then maybe he died getting off of it. And maybe he put his brain in the hopper. It's unclear. But like, or he stored a message. But like, I I think it was... I, I don't have confirmation on this, but I think hmm. he didn't bring a robot so the university wouldn't know what he was doing. But at the Game Plus, or the so the very little bit of worked into the Game Plus, they said that he did have a robot with him. So, so that was, then that's who so I don't know. Or maybe so, that robot is, maybe he was doing both. Maybe he was already like offloading messages or something to the robot. I, I wondered for a while if Six was the robot they had originally sent with Renba, and then they well, somehow over. They did say at some point in my game that um, Six was uh, Renba's robot. Um, okay. So, but he didn't go to the last planet, right? Is my guess. Okay. Yeah. So, it, and it wasn't clear. It wasn't clear like when he left Renba. Um, right. But yeah. Um, so yeah, that's definitely something still left for us to explore. There. Um, the next one on the list was why did Mayari bring Alia, Alia to uh, Iox? And um, I only really got as far as she clearly needed somebody to go around uh, uh, archaeologizing for her. Um, <laughs> I don't know. What do you guys think? I think it has something to do with the language. Like, is that too spoilery? Should I wait on that? I don't know. We think we're we're in the spoiler territory. Are you talking about how the uh, how like because she Elbereth? speaks yes. Elbarethian or mm-hmm. Patois? That makes sense. And she also had found the nightingale, which I think contributed mm. to it. The ship was on Elbereth, so it, it implied that she got her ship from a wreck, like from playing around on Elbereth, and she and her mechanic friend fixed it up, and then. So I, I think, also I think there's references to Mayari having a dead daughter yes. on five or six. So there might have been some kind of replacement thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's like religion. Or the reincarnation like, thing. That, maybe she, yeah, maybe. That she thinks maybe it's she her daughter. or And also the, the sailor that um, the translation guy is always talking about, the book that he's reading. There's some oh, indication, yeah. a few places I thought I remember, where they, that maybe the professor thinks that our main character is a reincarnation of that historical figure in the same way that she right. herself maybe thinks she's reincarnated. She's real into reincarnation. It has to be part of it, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah the whole loop thing was still very it's mysterious. So mysterious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wonder, like, what do you, it's not on the list of questions, but what do you guys think? Is there a loop? Mm. I think it was created, but that doesn't mean it's not real. I know that it was created. I do not know if that means it is true or not. Right. Like, as in, well, what do you think it's made of? Because I think there's different opinions on that. And I wonder if the artificiality has something to do with that or not. Like, is it just water? Is it more than water? Is it? 
Not I'm talking about I'm talking about the like the religious loop that they were referring to. Oh, about, like, that the, sense, the like yeah. loop of like being born and dying. Um, oh, like they have right. a religion that's organized around the idea of like that time is a flat circle, basically. Yes. And um <laughs> uh like I don't know. I think it's really interesting. It's it's interesting thematically because it's like uh, it's a, in contrast with Alia's own belief in like the importance of history and understanding the continuity of time. And so she, mm. you know, she believes, you know, that the idea that like everything will come around again is bullshit because she's a historian and believes in the linearity of time. I think it's an interesting concept. So, but like, there are some things I, I think it's probably bullshit, but I think it's but interesting. It's also like the character who is immortal. Like if you trigger the Empress thing and you talk to her about the loop, she's like, yeah, like we made up the loop. It's bullshit. Oh, I didn't get but that. Also, oh. but also that you're like, but wait, you're immortal. Like you came back. Yeah. So maybe the loop isn't bullshit. Hmm. Like, it's interesting. It's, it's so it's the characters who don't believe in it end up reinforcing it, and the characters who believe in it make you doubt it. Ha. So hmm. good job on the fake religion. Right. Good stuff. So the next question on the list was, why are there robots under Iox? Um, I was a little unclear on this still, even at the end of the game. Like, why were the robots buried? All I figured out was that the robots were buried by an empress. Yes. And I think I, that's all I figured so out. So it seems to me that the, that the history was, and this is still a little vague for me, but it seems to me that the history was that um, that there was a period in the history of the of the nebula where the robots were the masters and the humans were the subservient to them. And I'm not yes. sure if that was after they started putting people's brains into robots. I would guess probably it was. Sa- probably after, yeah. yeah. It, yeah. it seemed mm-hmm. like it was a. It seemed like it was a. Even you know, if they did it to an empress, then it seems like it's a high status thing. So. Why why get put into a robot if not immortality? Yeah, yeah. And so um, at some point, I suppose the humans rose up against the robots and buried the robots under Iox as a way of, like, sealing them away. But I'm not 100% on that. Yeah, and did you guys... smashing is not good enough. See 316 anywhere? I did, yeah, at the... Um, at the, the But I didn't palace. get any context on that. No. So I think that in the mine... This is when I said earlier uh, for people listening that the I, I connected something in one location or another. I think in the mine you go and there's a grave and there's a stone and there's a stone for every person, and you're and you're like I think there's a at least a couple hundred here, mm-hmm. like between like two and five hundred. I was like, what a specific frame. <laughs> like, I think I think there were three hundred sixteen people who died there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I think that the graffiti at the Withered Palace was when it was destroyed. They were like the people who died in the mine. We honor them. Mm, yeah, interesting. So I think Ooh. that's what the graffiti was because they said it's from a different time period. Mm-hmm. So this is a complete me theory. I've the benefit of and curse of playing a new game is that there are no theories out in the internet explaining to you what's happening. But yeah. to me, three sixteen is the number of people who died in the mine. The robots were buried because. And they turned off the Withering Palace so that no one else could be created and rule humans. Interesting. Um, so the next one down was, can pigs really... Oh, no, the next one on the list was, uh, what does Kebenia mean? And um, that was the word that you speak to the uh, speak to the gate, right? That that it, if you're at the uh, Elbereth gate, the cat kiss gate, yes. that cat also kiss, brings yeah. you into the city, but it's a mm-hmm. different word. Yeah. So I thought it meant pilgrim. Um because of some of the yeah, context. that's what Alia thought it meant. Yeah. Um, yeah, it means pilgrim, and it's also the name of the water goddess of the fields. Yes, right. 
So I think it might mean like life. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. Like it means pilgrim, but I feel like it might mean like devotee. I don't know. Like it, there's got to be something more to there it. There was something about that where like when you when you say cat kiss to the gate, it takes you into the city. But then, or sorry, when you first you say cat kiss to the, the gate and it takes you into the city. Then later, if you say um, uh, Kibenia, it takes you into the city and the cat kiss word stops working. But then at some point I found that if I if I got rid of all of my weapons, then mm-hmm. uh, hmm. it went back and I could use the word cat kiss again and not Kibenia. Um, cat kiss? Kibenia is your ability because it it's like the pilgrim's gate. I think Kakis is fortress, so you're not allowed into the fortress with weapons. But if you're going as a pilgrim, you can go as you are. Interesting. Ooh, yeah, that I makes like sense. That. I had to I had to get rid of a weapon the first time when I used the word catkiss as well. Huh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, next one down on the list was, maybe Laura, you can speak to this. Can pigs really talk? I think it's not the pigs, but Amir is getting messages from someone because that little boy does not speak ancient and he got three messages for me that he wrote in the dirt in ancient. Two for me and one for her, again, unclear if it was Emperor or Empress or um, uh, Mayari, but I don't think pigs can talk. I think that the kid just got messages in his brain and been talking to pigs all day and was like, the pigs must be talking so to So there must be something, be a, there must be some further mystery reference. there. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> there must be some further mystery there. So the pigs aren't talking, but what is, is, is our question. Yeah, what is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Thanks for the weird message. Yep. Thanks, Thanks for the weird question. Guy. Um, the next one down, number seven, probably the last one we can get to before doing absolute endgame spoilers is whose feet and i assume that they're talking about the feet outside of the elbereth gate right the uh, large statue feet uh, they're presumably or the ones from the tv show lost yes <laughs> definitely talking about lost so there's there's the gigantic Dude. statue feet there and i never learned whose feet those were no they're all our feet i had no idea maybe Except that's god who knows <laughs> Maybe that's why they don't actually have feet when everyone's walking around with their ghost feet. Oh, that's Not it. just that's to it. save mechanics. All, <laughs> that's all of the characters feet. in the game it's, are it's staring at those like, feet. what are those? I've never seen those before. <laughs> <laughs> what are these strange shapes? <laughs> um, so the last Amazing. few questions, uh, how did the nebula come to be is, I think, answered in the end game and pretty interesting. Yeah, I've got a bolt at this point because I, I don't know the answer to any of these. I do still want to finish this game. Um... So, uh, for those of you who've held on to the episode this long, uh, goodbye from me, Shane. Uh, these fine hosts and guests actually finished the game, and I played ten hours of it thinking that, um, this would be like our other short games, and it was not. This is not a true short game. I'm out. All right, no problem, Shane. Uh, catch you next one. Um... So the, the last question, last few questions, uh, eight, how did the nebula come to be? So obviously it kind of describes this to you in the end game, right? You find this sort of the heaven's vault, which is now maybe I'm misunderstanding some details here. So you can tell me, correct me if I'm wrong, but the heaven's vault is the, is the center of a massive, uh, galaxy traveling spaceship that vaults from place to place or vaulted from place to place and crashed by sort of intersecting with the moon. And the, the nebula is sort of the resulting, I guess, sort of spillage of that massive spaceship. Um, and that's why it's not, it's not uh, like a, a system surrounding a sun or anything. It's literally just a bunch of habitable moons strewn across an area of space 
that's basically one large wrecked spaceship plus a bunch of debris. I thought that was pretty interesting. And then the the rivers are um, part of a system by which the the uh, the robots that run that ship are trying to recover the ship by transporting water around the nebula. I wasn't a hundred percent clear on the yeah, details. Yeah, it, it of that. was like a water fuel thing, and I feel like it's connected to Renba somehow. But maybe he was messing around with rivers. Yeah. Um, I really like the spirits idea. I think it's, or I wonder too if this is the kind of thing where if it's been hundreds of years, the humans after the fact have sort of like mythologized these things that were totally mechanical or alien mm-hmm. or whatever we want to call what was happening in the vault, but maybe it's both. But yeah, it, it seems to I be mean, some water kind of thing. Yeah, you know, the in the Disney movie Hercules, when they look in the spirits of the dead and it looks kind of like water, but then like faces come out of it. Yeah. That's kind of what I picture the rivers being, except faces don't come out of it. Um, I think that's an accurate thing about how the nebula happened to be, but what is the eagle and sun seem to be like founders mm-hmm. stuff? Yeah, um, I, mean, I don't know if there's a deeper meaning to this question, but it's the insignia of the of the early empire, right? The right. holy empire. But I think because you're, did the robot at the end turn into the, an eagle? Yes. Yes. Okay. So I think the eagle might be the like captain of the ship symbol mm-hmm. and the sun might be the ship. I like that. So sure. I don't know. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Uh, and, I, I, and I guess they became the head of the empire symbols. Yeah, mm-hmm. that makes sense because it's sort of holy symbols if, you're, if your religion is surrounding this spaceship. Um, the last question uh, is the question the game asks you at the very end of the game. Do you wish to vault? And um, I... I uh, avoided answering that question as long as possible in the dialogue tree of the game. You can avoid it a while. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. And in fact, uh, it doesn't seem like it at first, but the the option does eventually present itself for you to make no decision and leave. And yes. that was what I ended up choosing. I Me walked too. out. Because um, I felt like, you know, I can't, it seemed like, so maybe I misunderstood, but it was like, if you if you choose to vault, then the ship leaves and everyone in the in the nebula will probably die. If you don't vault, the ship stays, and it eventually sucks all the life out of the rivers, and everybody in the nebula will probably die. Right? Like that was the sense yeah. I got. Yeah. There was there's no there's no good choice there in terms of. And the, you can shut off the machine. Right. Third choice. Yeah. Okay. Well, what I did was I left and left uh, six behind in order to. He was said he was going to stay and try to reason with the machine until. Finally, they'd figure something out. He said it would take him a long time, but maybe eventually he could reason with the machine and find another another path. And I thought that was an interesting choice, so that was what I did. I had been playing. Uh, I just was like, I'm going to vault. Yeah. <laughs> I can't go back. I'm, I was like, I'm going to die on this planet. Like, there's no food, no water. I've been playing the character as like, kind of selfish it feels like an insane option but i was like honestly i was like i I kept being like but i can't go back like i'm stuck here forever yeah so literally so what uh what happens when you vault uh when you vault uh you basically are like like the whole thing kind of like shakes and takes off and it goes like black screen and it tells you like basically like you are now this like origins of a new history Ooh. Like your knowledge of the past is what will be preserved, basically. Whoa! So you are basically the founder of the n- next place you go. 
So like what you did in that game is basically like your timeline and your you are the living history now. Wow. Cool. That's really um, cool. Because it's like you've made the decision if the world is going to end to be the living and as a historian to be the living embodiment of again to take another pop culture it's very hail atlantis donovan style <laughs> like you stick them on the <laughs> ship and are like you seven are all we got hail atlantis that felt like what i was doing it's a cool ending it's if you kind of it's a very like watch the world burn type ending but you feel like it, the game uh does not hammer in the guilt hmm. the game hammers in that like you are all that's left for better or for worse Hmm. And if you didn't figure out what the word for field was before you left, you're never going to find it. <laughs> Except you can with New Game Plus. Nice. <laughs> so that was mostly what? the reason why I delayed everything, actually. I did the same um, as you did. But, uh, yeah, no, I thought that maybe I could still go back somehow or there would be some kind of additional, like, deus ex machina would be like, oh, no, it's fine. Like, now you can go and get more advice and, like, figure things out. I still also felt like I still had other things to do, like Reagan said, but I ended up delaying. And then I ended up saying something mean to Six without meaning to. And he's like, you don't control me. I'm going to stay here. And then it was over. I was like, what? What did I do? I guess I should have made a drastic choice. But yeah, similarly, I wanted to do other things or just explore other places or I figured there had to be some other option because I was never as throughout this game, like how consequential everything is like, does nothing matter? Are certain things supposed to happen or does everything, apparently everything does. So yeah, Yeah, it's pretty incredible how consequential everything was and how many branches there are. There's so many details that Laura had mentioned that I hadn't seen in my playthrough at all. And and that's what, that's what Inkle's really good at. And um, it's impressive to see them scale that it's not it's impressive when they do that in a game that takes an hour to play through and they have as many options as they do but in, in a game of this size it's very impressive how many potential sort of paths this story can take i i really like this thank you so much uh, laura for coming on the show and chatting with us about it it's always fun to have you know new perspectives and <laughs> thanks so much for that. inviting me i love yeah. this show so yes, much you actually know what they're talking about yeah. <laughs> although some of you are so much better at other aspects of this game no i love that and I love that there's always, as you said, so much more to discover. It made me immediately want to go back and like figure out what else I missed or whether there's secrets there are just like 80 days. So yeah, totally. So. Well, keep me up to date if you find anything cool. <laughs> um, well. Yeah, and so I guess that's uh, where we'll leave it. Thank you guys so much for joining us on this episode of the Short Game. I guess because I didn't say it in the earlier admin section, if you haven't, now would be a great time to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, we haven't asked for that in a while. Uh, if you haven't done one, it's very easy and it adds a lot to the show. Um, and uh, that's the main way that you can.